are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert! No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot, or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. A Bronx Tale, which came out in 1993. It was directed by Robert De Niro. It stars Robert De Niro, Chaz Palminteri, Lilo Broncado, Francis Capra, Terrell Hicks, Catherine Narducci, Clem Caserta, Alfred Socelli Jr., Frank Pietrangolare, and Joe Pesci. The genre would be coming-of-age gangster drama. All these years, what have I been telling you? Yeah, I know. Stay in school, get two educations. I know. That's right. This is my life, not yours. This is not for you. No guns. I first met Sonny in 1960. I was nine years old. He was the number one man in the neighborhood. And as I grew, he grew in power. He became a boss. And I was his friend. In a world called the Bronx. Look, I'm your father. I love you. You're breaking my heart. Sonny, trust me. That man can never trust anybody. The sooner you know that, the better. He was caught in a tug of war between his hardworking father. I tell you something to go to school, to go to school. You don't understand. It's not what you say. It's what he sees. It's the clothes. It's the cars. It's the money. I treat that kid like he's my son. He ain't your son. He's my son. And the man who owned the neighborhood. Don't you trust anybody? No. It's a horrible way to live. For me, it's the only way. Robert De Niro. Chaz Palminteri. You worry about yourself, your family, and the people that are close to you. That's what it comes down to. A Bronx Tale. Maybe I just caught it at the right time, when I was a college freshman working at a movie theater. But I have just always unabashedly loved this movie. I recall it getting some praise upon release, but also being dismissed as a watered-down Goodfellas by many. Which I get, as there are definitely some parallel sequences, especially that introductory voiceover sequence at the Shea Bippy, with Collagero, a main character, describing the various characters and how they look, and what their names are. Eddie Mush was a degenerate gambler. He was also the biggest loser in the whole world. They called him Mush because everything he touched turned to mush. He would go to the racetrack, and the teller would give him his tickets already ripped up. The Yankees, they lost. It was for bad luck, I wouldn't have no luck at all. Jojo the Whale, as they say, you didn't walk with Jojo, you walked among him. If you stared at Jojo long enough, you would see him get fatter by the hour. Legend has it, his shadow once killed a dog. They called him Frankie Coffee Cake because his face looked like a Drake's coffee cake. He was tough to look at. And of course, there's the whole De Niro connection, which brings certain expectations. And like with Goodfellas, where he got top billing, even though he wasn't really the main character, that's the same thing here. Only this time, he's playing our protagonist's well-meaning father, Lorenzo, who drives a bus, who's actually determined to keep his son away from organized crime. Tell your father where you got the money. Dad, I worked for it. Doing what? Things. Things? What do you mean, things? What things? All things, no things. Hey, don't lie to me. Just tell me the truth, and I won't get upset. You promise? I'm your father. Would I say it if I didn't mean it? I worked the crap games and the class gave me tips. Crap games? What crap games? What crap games? What tips? What crap games? I told you I wasn't going to get upset, Dad. I lied. Now tell me everything. I told you I worked for Sonny and he gave me tips. I knew it. 
And that's where the two stories of Collagero, also nicknamed C, and Henry Hill from Goodfellas really start to diverge. Where's my money, Dad? I left it in there. What? How could you do that, Dad? It was my money. That's bad money. I don't want you to have that money. Dad, I earned that money. I said I want you to stay away from him. Dad, please listen to me. I said you stay away from him. Dad, listen to me. Did you hear what I said? You stay away from him. Said he was right. The walking man is a, is a sucker, Dad. He's a sucker. He's wrong. It don't take much strength to pull a trigger, but try and get up every morning, day after day, and work for a living. Let's see him try that. Then we'll see who's the real tough guy. The working man is the tough guy. Your father's the tough guy. But everybody loves him, just like everybody loves you on the bus. It's the no. same thing. No, it's not the same. People don't love him. They fear him. There's a difference. <laughs> so you stand Both A Bronx Tale and Goodfellas have the same basic thesis, but they develop into two very different movies. Basically, this becomes more of a touching coming-of-age drama. Unlike Hill, Collagero generally stays on the right path, which is admittedly a struggle. This was De Niro's directorial debut, and it's a very assured one at that. He's taking us to a distinct time and place, mainly the blue-collar neighborhoods of the Bronx in the 1960s. The main protagonist is Collagero, and we see his life in two stages— as an impressionable preteen, played winningly by Francis Capra, and then as an older, tough-talking teenager, played by Lilo Brancato. Rewatching this for the first time in several years, I was also reminded that the younger version of C actually takes up the first 45 minutes of the movie. Capra is just as good as Brancato, though I would say that they both give excellent performances. They really build off of each other, which is to this film's advantage. Finally, as the film builds towards its emotional conclusion, we see a kind of sweet interracial romance develop between C and Jane, who is from his school, though from a different neighborhood in the Bronx. Of course, he's Italian, and she's an African-American, and that, of course, is a source of tension at this particular time, in this particular place. I want to be with you, and I don't care what anybody says. Can I have a kiss? Sure. You're only one fellow's That's not a kiss. This is a kiss. I'm so proud of being loved by you. And it would hurt her to know. Do you know how to make sauce? Now, Jane is nicely played by the luminous Terrell Hicks, and the two have some nice scenes together. To be fair, the whole romance feels a bit rushed, though, as it's just one of several running subplots running through this film's admittedly overstuffed third act. I mean, wow. A lot transpires on just one fateful night for C, his friends, Jane, her brother, Sonny, Lorenzo, and everyone else in their circle. They were all smiling. I was smiling too, but I was dying inside. I wanted out, but I couldn't get out of the car. What was I going to say? Let me out? I'm afraid. I'm a chicken. I can never go back to that neighborhood. They would call me a punk, a dog, a mutt. They would say I got no heart. I kept hearing my father's voice in my head. Don't blow it, son. These people will hurt you, son. Don't waste your talent, son. Then I kept hearing Sonny's voice. Be careful, see. Don't lose it, see. Keep your head, see. Somebody pulled the chain and I was going down the fucking toilet. But De Niro, to his credit, with help from the late, great Robert Q. Lovett as editor, keeps it all tight, straightforward, and briskly paced. It's kind of amazing that such a sprawling story tops off at just one minute over two hours with major props to Lovett, who just sadly passed away a few days ago at the age of 95. 
As an editor, he actually didn't work on that many movies, but among the few that he did cut, there were some genuine bangers. I mean, this previous episode's Blowout and the Taking of Pelham 123, the original, and the underrated Cotton Club. Rest in peace to Robert Lovett. And now that brings us to the categories. And I'm going to mix these up a little bit as I have two combined categories. So I'm going to start with a different one as usual. And that would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Yep, I'll bet you can guess that given how it's such a prominent theme and quote throughout this movie, you know, Wasted Talent from Collagero's father, the name of this category was inspired by this very movie. Do I have talent, Dad? Of course you have talent. You got all the talent in the world. Can I be a baseball player? You can be anything you want to be. Remember, the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. You could have all the talent in the world, but if you don't do the right thing, then nothing happens. But when you do right, guess what? Good things happen. You hear me? You're right. Let's go for that ice cream. Yeah, good. And sadly, that's all the more ironic as this very phrase ended up being used too often to describe the eventual acting career of star Lilo Brancato to the point where a 2018 documentary about his fall from grace also took on that very title. It was called Wasted Talent. Now, Brancato was 17 at the time of filming, as this was his very first acting role, and it was quite the promising start for his career. He received much-deserved acclaim for this, being his debut role. Over the next few years, he would also end up co-starring in a couple of really strong genre movies directed by the late, great Tony Scott, including one of my personal favorites, previous episode Crimson Tide where he co-starred as the memorable Private Vossler, who has been tasked with fixing the all-important radio, which is instrumental towards finding out if the Russians have sent out their nukes. I love him in that movie. Con Radio, we are receiving flash traffic, emergency action message, recommend alert one, recommend alert one. Fuck yeah! At this early point in his career, Broncado showed tons of promise, even eventually landing a prominent role on the extremely popular HBO drama The Sopranos. As he was handpicked by De Niro to play his character's son in his directorial debut, some critics were even referring to the young actor as the, quote, next De Niro. Yeah, a lot of pressure there. Unfortunately, during his early rise to stardom, Broncado fell victim to many temptations and eventually struggled with drug addiction, also getting more and more involved with criminal activities. He's doing drugs. He's, he's fucking high as hell right now. He's new at taking heroin because I was already, I had, had, I had been already out of rehab and stuff and sober for a few years. And I was like, wow, so he's just starting. So I thought for sure he was getting high with Abel. I was annoyed. I, I was really mad at him. I, was more, I think I was more mad at the situation because I knew how hard it was for me. And I'm like, don't go down this road. Like, you have all this opportunity in front of you. Why would you ever do this? All leading to a very unfortunate incident, a drug deal gone wrong, which resulted in the murder of an NYPD cop. Now, he was eventually cleared of murder charges, but still ended up serving more than eight years in prison on an attempted burglary conviction. It took several years, but Broncado eventually got clean and sober. And in recent years, he has struggled to restart his flagging career. It's a common story for sure, and here's hoping that he can find new opportunities to live up to his talent. God does exist. And, you know, I try to go to church as much as possible. Thank God every day, every day in my life, before I do anything, I pray for at least 10 minutes to thank him for giving me the strength to become the person that I am today. You know, it's, you know, I owe it all to him. The next category is a combined one. This would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. And 
the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now, this movie's soundtrack is wall-to-wall with fun, period-specific pop tunes from the 60s, including doo-wop, classic crooners, and British Invasion rock. And you have a lot of standards from this era that we have heard in other mob-based period pieces, including the now seemingly obligatory, but I never get tired of this song, Ain't That a Kick in the Head from Dean Martin, used, of course, during a triumph montage at one point. How lucky can one guy be I kissed her and she kissed me Like the fella once said Ain't that a kick in the head But for me, the premiere needle drop also happens to be used during this movie's trailer moment. Fellas, you're not dressed properly. He's gonna have to leave. Properly? What's wrong with the way we're dressed? What's up? These gentlemen ain't dressed right. I asked them to leave. Is there a problem then? Nah, problem is your man here says we're not properly dressed. Like our money ain't green. We just want a couple of beers. A few beers, that's it. That's it. We'll be on our way. We ain't looking for trouble. Spoke like a gentleman. Give me a beer. Go ahead. I appreciate it. No problem. All right. Halfway through, in the lead-up to what is certainly this film's most violent scene, we have Palminteri Sonny confidently turning the table on a group of roving Hell's Angels who have frequented his bar and are now making trouble. A toast to our host. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Look at all the shit all Hey! Oh, you again, huh? That wasn't very nice. Now he's got to leave. I'll tell you when the fuck we leave, all right? Get the fuck away from me. Go watch the bites, man. It seems as if these long-haired hooligans, I mean, this was the late 60s here, that's kind of how they were looked at, are just alone in this bar with just Sonny, C, and the now beer-soaked bartender. But as he makes the surprising move of locking the main entrance loudly in front of them, and then calmly informs them that they can't leave, while the camera slowly pans across the freaked faces of each Hell's Angel standing at that bar. And we realize that they are not alone. Now you just can't leave. I will never forget the look on their faces. All eight of them. Their faces dropped. All their courage and strength was drained right from their bodies. They had a reputation for breaking up bars, but they knew that instant they made a fatal mistake. And what's the song that we hear during this scene? It's from none other than the Beatles. It's not often we hear an original track from the Beatles catalog, as the song rights are often prohibitively expensive. But I gotta think that De Niro just had to have this one, and it's a good choice. As the tension ramps up in this scene, we hear the 1969 classic rocker from the Abbey Road album. I'm referring, of course, to Come Together. Just a banger song for a banger moment. This time they walked into the wrong bar. And of course, what follows is Sonny's cavalry pouring in from the back room armed with bats. In a so-called mob movie, which is deliberately lacking in your more typical gangster bursts of violence, it's a very effective shit-just-got-real moment in the vein of what we watched De Niro do as an actor in Goodfellas. 
And now this brings me to the final category, which would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. And of course, this is just not De Niro's movie. The other major talent involved is Chaz Palminteri, who not only portrays Sonny, the local mob boss who befriends Cologero, but Chaz also wrote the screenplay adapting his semi-autobiographical stage play of the same name. Even though he's portraying a character who he knows very well, Palminteri still delivers what is likely the trickiest performance in this movie. He's playing a gangster rising up the ranks, but one who's not only self-aware, but also sadly resigned to what he's given up to be the local boss. He is drawn to Collagero as the son that he's never had, but still can't quite bring himself to trust him. Is it better to be loved or feared? That's a good question. It's nice to be both, but it's very difficult. But if I had my choice, I would rather be feared. Fear lasts longer than love. Friendships that are bought with money mean nothing. You see how it is around here. I make a joke. Everybody laughs. I know I'm funny, but I'm not that funny. It's fear that keeps them loyal to me. But the trick is not to be hated. That's why I treat my men good, but not too good. I give them too much, then they don't need me. I give them just enough where they need me, but they don't hate me. That, and as you would expect with this being his play slash screenplay, Sonny has many of the film's best lines and scenes, with my personal favorites being the previously mentioned trailer moments and another one that happens about halfway through the movie. While Sonny is actually driving his car backwards, with C sitting next to him in a passenger seat, the kid is asking him for dating advice. And what Sonny dispenses with confidence are words of wisdom, which from this point on, I myself would always heed. I'm of course referring to the door test. <laughs> you borrow my car, and then you give it the test. What, the Mario test? Mario, Mario's a fucking psycho. What do you listen to this kid for? You give him my test, you give her the door test. What's the door test? All right, listen to me. You pull her right where she is, right? Before you get out of the car, you lock both doors. Man, you get out of the car, you walk over to her. You bring her over to the car. You take out the key, put in the lock, open the door for her. Then you let her get in. Then you close the door for her. Then you walk around the back of the car and you look through the rear window. If she doesn't reach over, lift up that button for you so you can get in, dump her. Just like that? Listen to me, kid. If she doesn't reach over, lift up that button for you so you can get in, that means she's a selfish broad and all you're seeing is the tip of the iceberg. You dump her, you dump her fast. Yeah, what about all the beautiful things you just told me, though? Do what my heart tells me to do. It's all that matters. Find someone to pull into myself. I mean, hey, this could be one of the great ones. Bullshit, kid. The door test, that's what counts. You dump her, you dump her fast. For doing all that he could to make this film truly special as co-writer and co-lead, Chaz Palminteri is the overall MVP, though with Robert De Niro a close second. My overall rating for A Bronx Tale would be four and a half stars out of five. Happy 30th anniversary to probably one of the most underrated gangster dramas of the 90s. Likely because it's actually not a gangster drama, it's more of a coming-of-age drama. And that way, it probably ranks just below previous episode Boys in the Hood. Pretty high praise. And if you're looking to watch A Bronx Tale, it is currently streaming on AMC Plus and DirecTV. And that ends another review that could be one of the great ones. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast. And follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.